Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you so much, God, for bringing us all here today, Father. I'm asking that you would um, uh, show us the things that, that, that we are to learn, Father. I'm asking that you will open up our spiritual ears and hearts and our minds, Father, to yes. hear from you, Lord. Yeah. Uh, that you would speak through Tim, Father, and um, that we may use this for the upbuilding of your kingdom, mm -hmm. the way it should be used. In Jesus' name, yeah. First, merciful Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, to give another opportunity to get into your word, to study it, Lord God, and to have you explain to us, Lord God, exactly what it means. We know that this subject is a very uh, controversial subject, Lord God, but we pray that you will open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to mm -hmm. receive exactly what you have for us, Lord God. We pray for our instructor that you will give him knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the word that you may give it to us exactly how you have it to give it to us. And we thank you, Lord God, for it in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for bringing us together this afternoon. Would you please uh, help us and guide us? Lord, just carry us through uh, the study of the next hour. Uh, give us clear minds and hearts. And yes, indeed, Lord, teach us things from your word. Uh, speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Everyone get an outline, I think, I hope. Um, what we're teaching on today, trying to learn about today is, as someone just prayed, a, a very controversial matter. Uh, and we want to make sure that we are approaching it with understanding. feeling fine right now. <laughs> okay. Um, let, me, let me just start with this question. How many of you have ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. Uh, the question that was asked was, what do you mean by that? Uh, I, would, I would suggest to you that probably, if you're a believer, probably everybody in this room has been filled with the Spirit at one time or another. Um, the challenge is in what we mean by that. Uh, there are some who define the filling of the Spirit very narrowly uh, to mean almost exclusively and only speaking in tongues. Whereas I think biblically the filling of the Spirit is a much broader <coughs> experience than that that the filling of the Spirit is a direct infusion of the Holy Spirit's power into our lives and into our experience so that we can do things, so that we can say things uh, with a power and with an effectiveness that we don't normally have. Uh, uh, so as you study the scriptures, the uh, all the different times that people are filled with the Spirit in the Old and New Testament. It's really amazing. They're filled with the Spirit uh, to speak in tongues, yes, but they're filled with the Spirit to sing, Ephesians 5, to, to speak to one another in uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, they're filled with the Spirit to do art, like you have uh, Bezalel in the Old Testament who... who uh, did all of the, the, the craftsmanship of the tabernacle and it said he was filled with the Spirit to, to do that. The filling of the Spirit is not tied to a particular type of experience. It is an experience that is applied to all different kinds of experiences and needs. And so uh, you can be filled with the Spirit to prophesy. You can be filled with the Spirit when you're out on the street talking to somebody about Jesus. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, you are carried along and, and the Lord gives you words and the Spirit just, just gives you a clarity of mind that, and an ability to, to say the right thing at the right time in the right way to that person who's right there. That's a filling of the Spirit. So I, I, I bring it up here because as we get started, like I say, Many Christians define the filling of the Spirit 
simply in terms of speaking in tongues. Then there are many other Christians who in reaction to the gift of tongues and the abuse of that gift that really is prominent in a lot of places, reacting against that, they go way over here and say, that's not the filling of the Spirit at all. In fact, that doesn't even, not even supposed to happen anymore. The filling of the Spirit is something else. And what we need to do is really test our thoughts by God's Word. And I'm going to try to do something here that um, could be a little bit challenging, but I want to encourage you, you all to have your Bibles open, have your notes in front of you. This is, we're going we're gonna to do a survey of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. This is the key text of Scripture regarding the, the gift of tongues or the gift of languages. And, and as we approach this, um, let, me, let me mention something up front. I've never spoken in tongues. Uh, I have prayed many times that I would and could, and I've waited on God for it, but I've never had that experience, and yet there's a number of people in this room who have spoken in tongues, who regularly speak in tongues, and uh, what are we to do with that? Does that mean that uh, somehow or other you're more spiritual than me, or does it mean that I'm somehow more mature than you and I don't need that gift? What does it mean? Uh, how, do we, how do we assess that? How do we evaluate that? And how do we make sure? There's a lot of Christians, I think, who have never experienced tongues, and because they've never experienced tongues, they deny that tongues exist. And I think there's a lot of other Christians who have had an emotional experience of some sort and aren't exactly sure where it fits in the Bible, but because they've had the experience, they're all excited and they're, they're not testing it by God's word. And I think we need to guard against both responses. So I think the best way to do that is to look at the text that talks about tongues the most and let's survey it together. Your notes this is actually uh, the first time I went through this material was back in October of 2004 uh, when we were still over in New Jersey, the church there, and leading our church through a transition from uh, the point where we didn't believe these gifts existed and functioned today to where we did believe. And this was one of the teachings that I gave in that moment. And what I, what I do here is I, I just offer you I don't know, 10 or 12 just statements that are based in the text. And, and let's run through these as quick as we can, and then hopefully at the end there'll be time uh, for some, some questions. All right, so here's, here, let's begin. We're on page one of your notes, um, and under Roman numeral two, letter A, the gift of languages or tongues is an ability to speak a language never learned and often not understood. That's my understanding of the gift of tongues in Scripture. It's, it's the ability to speak a language that you've never studied or learned. It's just there's the language it's given to you. Uh, and it's often not understood. You don't necessarily understand the language that you're using, uh, but you were given that gift to speak a language never learned and often not understood. B, speaking in languages or tongues is grouped with other partial and imperfect gifts which will continue until the perfect, that is our face-to-face -face encounter with Christ, comes. You know the text, right? 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, verse 8. Love never ends, as for prophecies, they will pass away, as for tongues, they will cease, as for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part, prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The passage, in my understanding, teaches us that the gift of tongues, along with the gift of prophecies, will continue until the face, the perfect comes. What's the perfect? Our face-to-face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That this is, these are gifts that continue until Jesus comes back for us. And that, I believe, is consistent in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we find out that the gift of tongues and prophecy are for these last days. Uh, and biblically, that phrase means the time from when Jesus went up to heaven till he comes back from heaven. These are the last days. And during the last days, these gifts of the Spirit will continue. So, in our view, the speaking in tongues is, is partial. It's imperfect, along with other gifts. But it will continue until the perfect comes, until we know Christ fully because we see him face to face. C. This gift of tongues or languages is sovereignly given to some but not others as the Spirit wills. Chapter 12 and verse 7. Chapter 12 and verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, by the same one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of these tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, notice it, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What this means, we believe, is that this gift of tongues, along with all these other gifts, are sovereignly given to us. The Holy Spirit gives them as He wills. He doesn't give them to everyone. That's why uh, in, was it, chapter 12 and verse 30, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the higher gifts? Those are all what we call rhetorical questions. They have, they're intended to have an obvious answer. No, not everybody does have a gift of healing. No, not everybody does speak in tongues because God, through his spirit, gives these sovereignly. And that's why, uh, right here in this room, there are some who speak in tongues and there are some who don't uh, because God is sovereign in how he dispenses these gifts. And what that means, and this is important, is that tongue speaking is not a sign of superiority because the Spirit gives these as he wills. It's not a sign of spirituality that somehow or other one person is more spiritual than another person. And in fact, what do you know about the Corinthians? What, what, you know, tell me, first of all, we know, Paul said in chapter one, that they had the, the speech gifts, the, um, probably more than any other church in the New Testament, and that included tongues. They, they were probably the most um, gifted when it came to the gift of tongues. But what do we know about their character? They abused the gifts, and they were just a total moral mess. Yeah. They were the most immature church in the New Testament, even though the most gifted one. That, that should signal a warning to us. The gift of tongues, or any other spiritual gift, is not a mark of maturity. It's, it's simply receiving from the sovereign Lord something that we don't deserve um, and something that hopefully can help us in our walk with Christ uh, but is not automatic. The Lord can give gifts, uh, speech gifts, shall we say, to donkeys. <laughs> All right? Didn't make Balaam's donkey more spiritual 
It just meant that God in his sovereignty can do whatever he wants and distribute the gifts as he will. That's important because, honestly, folks, there are in this, this, in our generation, there have been now for several generations, those who equate tongue speaking with maturity or spirituality. And that is a mistake. This, this is gift is sovereignly given to some, but not to others. D, this gift is spirit manifested, not self-manufactured. Any idea what I mean by that? We've already read, right, that it's spirit manifested, so I don't think there's any doubting that. It's a manifestation of the spirit. It's a work of the spirit. But what do I mean by it's spirit manifested, not self-manufactured? It has to come from God. You, it's not something you work up on your own. It's not something you try to make happen. It's not something that, uh, you know, you hear stories sometimes of, of people being told to go into a room somewhere and just make their tongue wiggle for, uh, for however long it takes for something to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. God is amazing. He can do amazing things even through our, our flawed and fallible attempts at these things. But that's not what you see in the scriptures. The gift of tongues fell upon people. It was something spirit-produced and spirit-given. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't desire it. That doesn't mean we can't pray for it. In fact, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Uh, seek to excel in these spiritual gifts. So we can desire it, we can pray for it. I think we can wait upon God for it. I think that I think that we can position ourselves both spiritually and physically uh, to be prepared for it. I think that we can try to do it, praying and depending upon God. But there's a difference, and I hope you see it, between between an honest, humble attempt to be filled with the Spirit and a self-manufactured experience. Um, and so we want to guard against that because we want to recognize this is a Spirit-manifested, not self-manufactured experience. E, there are kinds of languages. In chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul writes, "There's the, the Spirit gives to another various kinds of tongues. So there are kinds of languages. Um, the, the word that he uses, the Greek word, speaks of types or almost species of, of languages. There, there are categories of languages. And I don't... I don't it may mean, he may mean by that, there are simply different human languages. But I think that's what he would have said if he would have just said there are different languages. But he says there are different kinds of languages that seems to indicate that there are different types of languages. In, in uh, chapter 13 and verse 1, even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You know, there's clearly a distinct kind of language that the angels speak. Uh, what this, I think, says to us, at least hints to us, is that it is possible. There are those, and I used to be one of them, there are those who would argue that tongues is always a human language. Uh, and I would now say no. Uh, there's one case of that in the book of Acts chapter 2. Uh, but here there's reference to different kinds of languages. So it might be human, it might be angelic, it might be some other form of language that simply is not a dialect or language. It's not Russian, it's not Hebrew, it's not 
English. It's, it's, it's not one of those. I mean, it can be that, but, and there are accounts of mission workers going to different parts of the world and, and being given literally the gift of tongues. In fact, uh, one of the sisters in the church, I'll leave her unnamed, but she, she told me once about uh, a mission trip that she was taking down in South America, a, a Spanish-speaking country, and uh, she just had this sense that she was, uh, she was supposed to share the gospel with this group of people, but she didn't know the language. And, uh, and just, but she still felt she was supposed to share the gospel, and she was given the language in that moment and uh, you know this is that can happen that does happen uh, but I do believe that there are different kinds of language as well. Mark? I had a question that I think relates to this I'm not jumping ahead to something you're going to get later. If you are I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. so related to what you're saying so <clears throat> I've heard some people teach that yeah there's those languages you don't realize it and you're speaking another language somebody gives the interpretation and it's used like in that mission setting. But then others have spoken about <coughs> there might be <coughs> a setting where you're just in your private prayer time praying something, there's nobody there interpreting, but, but you've kind of entered whatever deeper level yeah. of engagement with the Lord, so there's not really a known language and it's a heavenly language. Yeah, heavenly language, some call it a prayer language. Uh, they're just, you know, what we're... What we're trying to do when we find these, use these terms, is to describe a very mysterious thing uh, that the scriptures don't always clearly define for us and describe for us. We're trying to, trying to, uh, we'll see the next point is that tongue speaking, with or without interpretation, is primarily prayer and praise speech toward God. This gets to the, the prayer language idea. Look at um, chapter 14 and verse 2. Chapter 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. There's something going on here. There are mysteries. There are spiritual realities that this person is speaking, and he's speaking them to God. There's a, there's a Godward direction to it. And if you look down at verse uh, 14, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray also, pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also otherwise you if you give thanks with your spirit how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying point i want to just you call your attention to here is that uh when there is praying or singing in the spirit uh that apparently both can be in a tongue in a language that you don't know uh it is giving thanks paul says uh, it's a it's a Godward expression. There's a there's a difference here between uh, tongues normally tongues and the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is horizontal. It's me encouraging you with words and thoughts that God has given to me. Tongues is vertical. Tongues is primarily a praise language, a prayer language. You see this even in Acts 2 where a lot of people say that on the day of Pentecost the gift of tongues was for evangelism purposes so that they could witness to people from different languages. Uh, but the reality was that um, what they were actually saying in Acts 2 when they were speaking in tongues they weren't preaching the gospel. It says in Acts chapter 2 that they were, the people said, we are hearing them speak, um, telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So tongues, even in the book of Acts, 
was not evangelism, it was not horizontal. They were praising God. They were declaring the mighty works of God. And then in Acts 10, when Cornelius receives the gifts, it says they were speaking in tongues and extolling or magnifying God. So primarily, tongues is intended by God, the Holy Spirit, to be a vehicle or a means of praise and of worship and of prayer. It's a Godward gift. All right, let's continue as quick as we can. G, tongue speaking can edify the speaker even if there is no interpretation or understanding. This is, this is interesting. Um, Tongue speaking can edify the speaker even if there is no interpretation or understanding. Chapter 14 and verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you to speak in all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Here what he's saying is that if there's no interpretation of the tongue, then there's no real value for other people because they can't understand what you're saying. But there is value for you. It does edify you, even though you don't even understand what you're saying. That there, there is spiritual blessing and edification for the speaker, even if he or she doesn't, can't interpret it or understand it. This is, I don't have time to read these couple of quotes in the boxes there, but I, let me just say this, that, and this again speaks from my own experience. I, for many, many, many years would have said that any kind of experience that bypasses the brain is, is suspicious. That God calls us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength that it's by the renewing of our mind that we are to be transformed in our lives and that brothers and sisters is the normal way that God works the normal way God works is through renewing our mind through the word of God it's through the objective truth of God's word through the doctrine through the teaching of God's word as we take this into our minds it then affects our hearts which affects our emotions and affections. It draws us toward God with love. That's the normal way. That's how, that's how all of us are to be growing in our faith. But that doesn't mean that God can't edify you in different ways. There are times when God can edify you when your mind is pretty blank. Um, I don't know about you folks, me, uh, if, I, if I see or hear, I think I've mentioned this a couple times recently, if I see or hear something beautiful, let's say a singer or uh, you know, there's some extraordinary talent or a song or a voice, um, as I, I, I find myself almost every time weeping. Uh, it affects me, even though I'm not thinking about any kind of objective truth. It's not like my mind is engaged with deep things. There's an experience of the beautiful. There's an experience of the wonderful, an experience of the marvelous that edifies me, that affects me, that changes me without really going through my mind at all. It just, boom, right to the heart. Right to the heart. And I suspect that, and based on my conversations with folks who have spoken in tongues, uh, more times than not, by far, people have said to me that there is, there is an elevating of the heart. There's a, there's a joy that comes. There's a, there's a sense of the nearness of God. There's a, there's a sweetness of experience with God. Now other people who have spoken in tongues don't speak of it in those terms, but many do. Many do. Uh, and just because it might bypass the brain and God might go directly for your heart doesn't mean it's a bad thing. 
Now, let me say this. Let me give due caution. If you emphasize bypassing the brain, bypassing the mind, then your walk with the Lord is going to get off track. You need the word. You need the truth. You need the doctrine. You need theology. You need the word of God. Um, but God can and often does give to us experiences that are direct to the heart. And we ought to cherish them and delight in them. Now we go on to <coughs> I and J. These really two, two are together. Um, just so that we uh, make sure we connect these tongues speaking without interpretations does not inform and therefore does not edify others. And tongue speaking with others present, which does not engage their understanding, negates their ability to enter intelligently into and to affirm what is said. So, what Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians 14 especially is that tongues, in order for tongues to be spoken in the gathered church, when the church is together, there needs to be an interpretation. Um, and if there isn't an interpretation, it's not to be spoken, at least not proclaimed in a way that, that others can hear. In fact, he goes on to say that if unbelievers are in the room, when that's going on, they're going to think you're crazy. You, know, you get all this noise going on and no understanding, and nobody knows what's being said. And Paul says, no. Um, if you speak in tongues with others present in the gathered church uh, without an interpretation, all you do is produce confusion. You don't edify. Uh, that doesn't help others. And so he says more than once, speak to yourself instead or just do it quietly. Do it on your own. Do it in a way that will not distract or confuse others. Yes? So that means that you should know that there's an, if you want to speak in tongues in the church, you should know whether it's an interpretation. I believe that's the case. In fact, our next point gets, moves us toward that. Letter K, tongue speakers should pray for gifts of interpretation. Tongue speakers should pray for gifts of interpretation. Verse 13, um, therefore... One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Uh, so if, if in a given church context, gathered church context, you have a sense that you have a, a, a tongue that's to be shared, well, pray for the gift of interpretation and, and, and pray that God gives you the, the translation, so to speak, the interpretation of it so that it can be shared. Otherwise, don't share it. Um, uh, and it doesn't mean that it has to be the same person. It could be, you know, just pray that somebody has the gift of interpretation. What we would do, and this just to, um, the couple of times that I've been present in a church where tongues have been spoken, um, this was how, uh, one of them was a meeting that I actually was leading, and we found out that there was somebody who believed that um, he had, a tongue to share in that in that gathering um, but we said to him well we need to make sure that we have an interpretation for this tongue before we have it shared and in that context I just I, I said publicly uh, somebody believes they have a tongue uh, if anyone has a sense they feels from the Lord that he's going to give them a interpretation for this tongue then uh, would you come over to the microphone and let us know and we we process through it to just have a sense of whether it was from the Lord and we believed it was and we we had the tongue shared and, and it was actually to my ear and to my eye it was beautiful it was it was a it was a wonderful experience um, but we would make sure as best we can that there's going to be a an, an interpretation and if there isn't uh, you know, this is one of those things, and, and different uh, charismatics believe differently about this. Um, there are some who suggest that go ahead and do the tongue, believing that the interpretation is going to come. Uh, I think that's a little risky 
in light of what the text says to us that don't share a tongue if there's no interpretation. Um, others, others say, no, make sure there's going to be an interpretation. And then, then once the interpretation happens, it's to be uh, assessed like a prophetic word. I don't know if you all realize this, but when prophecy is shared on a Sunday, um, the pastors and other discerning folks in the church are assessing what's being said, you know, uh, to, to make sure that theologically it's faithful to God's word, that there's nothing said that uh, would uh, confuse people or whatever, and just making sure that we're guarding that well. And there have been, uh, I don't know if it's happened since Risen Hope started, but uh, I have in the past stood up following a prophetic word and, and uh, you know, just expressed gratitude for the word, but then also an explanation because something was said that could have been confusing for people. That kind of oversight, that kind of care uh, is what we pursue in everything really that is shared on a, on a Sunday. So it would apply to tongues as well. All right, quickly, let's finish this up and then um, give you more time for more questions. Um, L, if unbelievers are present, tongue speaking without interpretation sends a wrong signal or sign. It sends a sign of God's judgment upon them rather than a message of salvation. I won't go into this at length here, but basically in the Old Testament, God, there were times when God was pronouncing judgment on Israel, and one of the judgments was he was going to send people into their land with a language they couldn't understand. In other words, they were going to be invaded by outsiders, uh, and that was a sign. Of the, a language they couldn't understand was a signal of God's judgment upon them. Paul argues this way, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 14. If there are unbelievers in the congregation and they hear a language they can't understand, the signal that sends is they're under God's judgment when, in fact, we want to call them to God's salvation, God's grace. Uh, and so the need for interpretation, the need for uh, making sure that whatever is said can be understood. You can read the quote there. And then uh, just two more points uh, in our quick survey. The gift of languages or tongues, like all other gifts, is to be exercised in an orderly fashion in the gathered church. See this in chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Do you, do you see the clear guidelines that God gives to us when it comes to the gift of tongues? How many should be allowed at most to speak in tongues in a proclaiming kind of way? Three, right? Three. Two or at the most, three. Isn't that how he puts it? That to be two or at most, three. And they should do it one at a time. That, that is different than is done in a lot of churches where you have tongues being proclaimed from all over the room. And Paul says, no, that's not how it's to be done. It's to be one at a time and only and always with an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, then he says, speak to yourself and to God. So here's a lot of people, and I'm, I'm one of them. A lot of people, when they hear about tongues, they get scared real quick. Because... Uh, how many of you have ever seen tongues get out of control? All right. Yeah. Where it just takes over. It takes over a, a meeting. It takes over a church. It becomes the all-consuming 
thing. It's what everybody has to have, and everybody's doing it all at once. And and I remember back in our church in Jersey when we were trying to guide people through these things. It was um, these folks are not upset. They have they're they are serving as ushers, so don't get the wrong impression. Um, I rem- I remember. Uh, People being, I, I remember one person said to me, Tim, I know these things are taught in the Bible, but I'm so afraid of them, I don't want them in our church. And the reason behind that was they had seen so much abuse of these things that they were just afraid. And I remember trying to plead with him, and it didn't, it didn't get through to him, I'm afraid, but trying to plead with him that if we practice these things biblically, they will never get out of control. God has given us guidelines for these things. Never more than three. One at a time. Always with an interpreter. If you do it God's way, what's the most that's going to happen? Most, you're going to have three people speaking a tongue and there's going to be an interpretation that in some way edifies God's people and then you move on the preaching of the word, the singing of praises to God, and, and it becomes just a very, very um, biblically managed and guided gift rather than something that takes over. Um, if we do it God's way, then we don't have to worry about confusion and chaos. Ignore God's way, and things get out of hand real quick. And so, the last thing I would say here is this. Tongue speaking is, this is understating it, tongue speaking is not to be forbidden. Verse 39 of chapter 14, So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That's understating it, because earlier he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. So there's, there's one part of Paul. Is, it's not just to be not forbidden. It's to be actively encouraged. Here's, here's, here's the last kind of principle I want to leave with you. The, the Corinthians, we learned, right? They were abusing the gift. The, in Corinth... This gift, this gift had taken over. It was like it was seen as the mark of spirituality. It was these were the people who who really had the spirit. Everybody else was second rate, and and um, and they were abusing it. They were not guiding it with these biblical guidelines, and and you know they were there was all kinds of it going on when it's only supposed to be at most three and all of that. They were they were abusing it. They were misusing it. But what's really important to notice is that when Paul addresses their abuse of these gifts, he doesn't say, don't use the gifts. He says, use them in the right way. That's huge. You know how many times I said in the first 20 years of my ministry, and how many times I've heard people who really despise the gift of tongues say look this thing is so dangerous this gift is so confusing we should just leave it alone just leave it alone that's not how Paul said Paul didn't correct the abuse of spiritual gifts by saying non-use of spiritual gifts he corrected the abuse by saying right use of spiritual gifts and that's where the Lord has guided us as a church. We, we recognize all the perils. We recognize all the dangers. We realize that there are many who are abusing this gift. But we don't want to overreact to the abuse to move into non-use. We want to encourage God's people to earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you can prophesy or that prophecy is in the church because that just is automatically encouraging and edifying to everybody Uh, don't forbid tongues and indeed let's pray for each other for those that want this gift that God would pour out his spirit upon us that more and more of us might 
enjoy this. What I'm told again and again and again is this delightful experience of nearness to God. Now, what happens if you never speak in tongues? Does that mean you're not going to have as much delight in God? No. God will delight you with himself in other ways. Because that's who he is. That's his heart for us. His heart overflows with joy and with love. And he's pouring that into our hearts and lives in 10,000 ways every day. This is one way he does for some. And it's perfectly valid and wonderful for us to desire that we be among those. Uh, But if it doesn't happen, don't be discouraged. Don't think that somehow or other that means you're inferior or second rate or unspiritual or unloved. Because if you assess your life, I guarantee there are ways that you are blessed in other ways that some tongue speakers are not blessed. Because God gives as he chooses to each one of us. So that's a quick survey, very quick survey of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. My, my goal here is kind of lay out the foundation and then um, kind of create a, a basis on which uh, questions and discussion and conversation can proceed. So I've done my foundation laying here. How about uh, let's have, um, we've got a 13 minutes or so. Yes, Janelle. You've spoken about corporate setting like church Sunday mornings and talked about um, praying comes individually. We address like a smaller group setting where those times we've been encouraged, maybe others too, to pray in the spirit or sing in the spirit and you have more than one person praying in tongues. Yeah, I, uh, the, the c- great concern that Paul has, the primary concern is with unbelievers that are present. Uh, if tongues happens and there's no interpretation, then there's a... Uh, it just is going to confuse them and he's I, what's his phrase they're going to think you're mad yeah, uh, um, it doesn't the, and the text is clearly talking about uh, several times in first Corinthians 11 through 14 he talks about when the church gathers together it's clearly talking about the corporate congregational gathering of the church so what do we do in those times where maybe it's just five or six believers together and they're just praying together and, and encouraging each other. I think it's appropriate there because those uh, you're not in the gathered church setting and it's it's not there aren't unbelievers present. But even there it's you know just just being mindful of uh, the fact that it, it's still even for some Christians may be confusing and, and you know you just want to be cautious that you're not causing others to stumble but I would not want to overly discourage it um, I think it's 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 valid and and can be beautiful in that small setting uh, but just be mindful of who's around and that stuff. Jen. so say if you're in a, a church setting so the bigger setting tons of people and it's like like an altar call or something so it's a lot of people praying and then tongues will start going off like wildfire yeah. in the church would you say that those people who are speaking in tongues would you say that they're being well, you know what's what's interesting. I, they may well be filled with the Spirit in the sense that they are experiencing a spiritual gift right now that's being released. But it's interesting in both the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Even though it's a it's a manifestation of the Spirit, Paul tells them. I'll put it in these terms: to turn it on and to turn it off. You know, so he says with the gift of prophecy, for example, he says if one is prophesying and another starts to prophesy, the first one should sit down and let the second one go, which tells us that even though it's it's spirit filled, it's spirit released, it's spirit produced, that doesn't mean that it has to be shared or it even should be shared in a public kind of way. It may mean that the spirit just gave it to that person and they should just quietly do it between them and the Lord. Or if it's a prophecy, it may be that, especially if three have already prophesied, you know, um, and somebody else feels they have a prophecy, well, we know God's word says no more than three, so that person needs to say, this must be for some other context. 
this must be for me to share to, with a person individually, or this must be, maybe there's gonna come up in my community group where I can share it. Or, you know, there, so what I'm saying is, there is a, there's an element of self-control and self-regulating of these gifts, even though they're spirit-filled. So I think people can be spirit-filled, but then in that moment, forget God's guidelines for that. And, and let it out when in fact they probably should just keep it keep it in. Does that help? Yeah. Bill? Two things. Going back to Acts 2. Um, is there a difference in the, the tongue spoken in the church and the tongue spoken in chapter 2 uh, where everybody heard their own heard the yeah. Yeah. wonderful works of God. I, think, I do think they're evangelistic. Um, because he talks about the gospel, but it's Peter, you know, it's Peter speaking in English. Right, <laughs> Not um, English, but I know what you're saying. Know, he's speaking yeah. in his language. Yeah. Are these, uh, all these folks from, from uh, Parthian and all, all these other folks, are they hearing Peter in their language? Yeah, it, there's... One thing to keep in mind uh, in that time in Rome, in Jerusalem, Greek was spoken by virtually everybody. Uh, and so there could well be two stages going on there in Acts chapter 2. The initial stage where the, all the group of disciples were speaking in various dialects, languages, human languages, so that people actually heard it in their language. And then Peter stood up to speak for the whole group and and preached. He could well have been preaching in Greek at that point, the language that everybody could understand. One of the things you have, you know, the, there are those who say that the gift in the book of Acts is actually the gift of hearing mm -hmm. languages. Um, but the question I'd have about that is, um, that would be a, a spiritual gift given to unbelievers because they were not believers at that point. Uh, spiritual gifts are for believers. Uh, and I think, I, I, and it's, it's called, they spoke in other tongues. So I think it's, known it, it, in that case, it was known human languages um, that they understood. And, uh, and then Peter, so I'm, I'm guessing that when Peter stood to preach, he spoke in, a in one language that they all understood, the, the Greek language. That would be my take on it. So. Anyone else? Bob? So I hear what you're teaching as far as doctrine is concerned. As far as some of the practicals of the Sunday service, I'm still not clear. So if someone feels that the Lord's leading them to share a tongue, and Arnardo's up at the microphone. Like what is, can you share that with him? What does he do with that? Yeah. If, if, if somebody came up to Arn at the mic, Arn would come and get me, or he would, he would, he would get uh, whoever's nearest to him, either Alex or, or Leo, uh, and share with us what was happening, and then we would talk to the person. And, and, try to discern, okay, how did this come to you? You know, some kind of way of discerning, all right, this seems like it's from the Lord. Um, and then we would have, to, we would ask them, do you have an interpretation? And if they say no, then we would say, well, we can't have it shared publicly unless we have reason to believe there's going to be an interpretation. So at that point, one of us would stand up in front of folks and just say, uh, you know, Someone feels they have a tongue here, but in honoring God's word, we want to make sure we have an interpretation. Has the spirit of God moved in anybody's heart today to, to indicate that there may be uh, uh, an interpretation that's going to be given to them? And if somebody says yes, then we would, we would step out in faith at that point and, and let the tongue be spoken with the interpretation and then just assess it from there. Does that help? Is I've it? seen that in covenant. Yeah. Bob, is that a... Yeah. I mean, I, it, it seems like there's a translation from the person to Arn, from Arn to the pastor. 
you know, there's well, we, a lot of steps. Yeah, we would, we would want to make it as smooth, uh, you know, we, we don't want to put barriers up, um, but just exercise just <coughs> enough uh, oversight of it so that we're, 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 we have reason to believe this is going in a good direction. Um, and frankly, our hearts are that these things happen. Uh, so we're, 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 not, we're not wanting to discourage or quench the spirit. Um, but we do want to, we want to have a minimal set of guidelines in place so that we don't dishonor the spirit. Yes? Well, ultimately, you can't, uh, in the sense of, did this person just come up with this on their own, uh, or was this spirit generated? The test we have to apply to it is, is honestly the same test we apply to the gift of prophecy, and the same test that's applied to my preaching. Is it faithful to God's word? Is there anything in this interpretation that is um, is confusing that needs to be clarified does it does it um, does it ha- does it just have a sense of God about it or does it feel very manufactured and if it honestly uh, again I've done this in other contexts uh, if it just feels manufactured or if there's something in it that's confusing or, or we'll just we'll just stand up and we'll we'll bring gentle direction and correction to that. But it's not it's not a um, the gifts of the spirit are not um, what's the right word? They're not, not neat and clean. They can get <coughs> messy because there is the need for discernment. And people can stay, this is one reason Again, honest truth. I did not want to become a charismatic because I saw the messiness and it scared me. And I didn't want I didn't want anything to do with it. When you when you put these things out of the picture, everything is very predictable. You can choose your songs, you can choose your message, you can choose your prayers, you can choose everything is planned, everything is predictable, nothing spontaneous and nothing is unexpected, and nothing is, oh, where'd that come from? You know, but when you open to the spirit, there are those moments where, okay, what was that? And how do we pastorally care for the people right now so they're not confused by it? So, so pray for us that we'll have lots of wisdom and courage. Feeling? See if I do. Uh, in answer to the first part of that, you know, should we be praying for, seeking for together, corporately? I, I say yes. Acts chapter five. Once the the persecution of the church had begun, the the church got together and they prayed, and they prayed to that they would be filled with the Spirit and with mighty works from God. And God gave them mighty works. So they were praying for the gifts of the Spirit congregationally. And yes, when we're in our community groups, when we're you know, on Sundays, different contexts. Uh, I am sure that it, in, in one of our next fasting and prayer seasons, uh, we did a little bit of this, I think, not this most recent one, but the one before. Uh, but in one of our next ones, we will... We'll, there will be a focus on the spiritual gifts. There will be a focus on, we want more of the spirit in our in our congregational life. We have the spirit. We have been blessed in so many ways by the spirit, but we want more. You know, we want more of God. So. Mark. Yeah. Uh, 
No, I appreciate the balance that you brought to you. Because, I mean, I've been out there, whether it's in a church I've been in or visited, and seen the one extreme to the other, and, and just, you know, just that basic expression of being filled with the Spirit. And so, you know, it's probably more of us that might fit in there versus the tongue of interpretation and have that experience. But I, I was just thinking, in terms of the process, like we were talking about a few months ago, somebody comes up to arm, like, um, so is the window open there for, because we're not that large of a church, but we do have visitors, and um, for that non-member to come up and say, yeah, I've got the interpretation. I'm just thinking of some of those scenarios yeah. that are concerning yeah. that play out. Yeah. Um, the question really is, is addresses something that I'm not sure the Bible clearly answers for us. Um, do we just restrict it to members of the church? There may be wisdom in that because you're able to exercise some oversight over it. But I don't think it's mandated by God's word. And uh, so there's liberty, I think, to, to allow others, but they'd still have to fall under the same oversight and the same guidelines. Um, to this point, we have, when it comes to prophecy, we have, we have not restricted it here. At Covenant, they do. Uh, uh, but because it's not mandated one way or another in Scripture, we have just felt that in our, what we have wanted is we want more of these things to happen, uh, both prophecy and tongues. And uh, so in order to encourage it, we want it to, to be as open as possible at this point and just exercise careful oversight. That could change <coughs> in the future. Yes? So my problem is, I'm trying to understand, you know, you hear, you hear people speak in tongues, right? And it sounds like gibberish, right? So I'm trying to understand, if God created languages, why is, why is it gibberish? Why couldn't it just be, because it all sounds like they're saying the same thing over and over again. So I'm just trying to understand. Why, does, why, why is that necessary? Because God creates languages, so it could be any language that he could use. Yeah, good question. And I think the answer in part is, there. I think there are times, I think there are times when objectively, objectively you'd have to say it's gibberish. It's just somebody tongue-wiggling. However, many, many times, if you listen carefully, there is a rhythm to it, and there is... There is, and in fact, in the back, don't look at it now, but look at it later, there's a piece there by a guy named D.A. Carson in which he, an and, and he's a very careful Bible scholar, in which he analyzes um, what, what is you know, a, a form of tongues and, and realize, no, there, is a, there, is a there are features of language in this. There's, there's a rhythm to it, there's a sequence to it, the marks of language are in much of what people share when they speak in tongues, uh, and the you know to the question of why does God do it that way rather than a, a human dialect, you know it's it's I I can't answer for God on that. Although I will say this that when, as I've talked to folks who consistently speak in tongues, I do hear many times that there is. There is something that happens in the mind and in the heart. Uh, maybe because it is, I don't, I don't know all the workings of this, but maybe because it's not a language as we normally understand it, so that people are hearing themselves speak, but their minds are very active at the same time. Where they, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about how they just have a heightened uh, ability to pray. And, and to their mind is clear. They just they're able to move through prayer and just encounter God and engage in prayer. And I don't know all that's going on there, but it does. You know, biblically and I think historically, it seems like this this is just something God does for reasons that only He knows. So, so, are you, so each person that speaks in the tongue, 
I, I think it varies from person to person. There will there may well be a similarity with different people, particularly if it is some kind of angelic language or some kind of prayer language. It may well sound very much the same because it is. Yeah, it's there's so much mystery to it, uh, but it's. Those are great questions because you, we just need to be discerning as we move our way. Terry? I, I was just going to say, as far as gibberish, I worked as a linguist 20 years. A lot of the languages sounded like gibberish to me. Yeah, and when we would speak American English, people with kids would go, come on, we're funny to them. Yeah, exactly right. What is, what is what is clear and sensible to one person is gibberish to another person. Like Russia sounds like gibberish to me. Possibly times when you're aware of comments, sometimes there's even times questions in the spirit and it's meant to be a personal, private thing. But sometimes people are speaking it publicly, so maybe you shouldn't just speak that privately and that could be the context of that. Yeah, it's... a genuine experience and not just a manufactured Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's everything, every spiritual gift can be abused. Uh, preaching gets abused. Every gift gets abused. And we have to just guard it as carefully as we can. Our time is up. Time's more than up. Thank you all. God bless you. And uh, we'll see you in worship in just a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Really think about that.